This episode is sponsored by Coingaming.io, Permission.io, and Bittrex Global. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Hey everyone, I'm Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories, where twice a week I get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement really came to be. I'm like changing my my intros up a little bit because I've been watching Charles Hoskinson's live videos on his personal Facebook, and I'm not sure if he plans like other people to watch it, but I like watching him just ramble on about about stuff. And uh, you know, he's the, the founder of Cardano and and the founder one of the founders of, of Ethereum. For those who don't know, and he starts off all of his uh, his videos, and he's like, "This is Charles here, always sunny." Colorado, always warm. Not so sunny, not so warm today, though. Like, he starts that off every episode. I just start cracking up, and I message him, like, always warm. It's like, yeah, it's freezing in Colorado today. But so I want to start my show with that. Like, it's freezing in Florida. Broad- I, I want to start the show with broadcasting you live from uh, sunny Sarasota, Florida, but it's actually freezing. I'm wearing this sweatshirt. My my Buccaneers, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been losing. So I guess all the sweatshirt is only good for to, to keep me warm. Edward Woodford, you are the founder of Zero Hash, uh, formerly CTX. We're going to talk about some crazy stories and some crazy pivots, uh, what you're doing and why it's so important, like all this underbelly infrastructure of the whole industry. Thank you for joining the show and 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 having me on of your time. Yeah, no, thank you. And it's uh, chilly and cold here in Chicago. So that's how, that's how, we, that's how we start things off. So you're, you're in good company with an English person who, who just wants to talk about the weather all day. So. What got you to Chicago? I'm just curious. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I came to the US to, to do my grad degree, and I, I always said I was gonna I was gonna go back to England, and and, and then I stayed. Um, but really, Chicago, um, just because of the trading community that exists here, and actually fell in love with the fell in love with the city. Um, you have the CME, the CBOE base there, right? Like across the street from each other, the the mercantile Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and then you have like the 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 early like cattle exchanges were based in Chicago, right? Like trading in America has its roots in Chicago because it's always been. Uh, if you look at the population centers in the thirteen original states, like Chicago was that frontier city. That's why it became so big. People always wonder, like, how did Chicago become become such a big city in the center of the country where the population centers are coastal? And it's because it was that like trade routes. And also, you have the rivers. The Mississippi River connects with all the Great Lakes up in Canada. It all connects there in Chicago. It's so it's a cool city when it's warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. The, the railways really were one of the big drivers. And yeah, for for for, for, for commodities, it's definitely uh, st- still the center. You know, a lot of big trading firms are still here. But um, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's great. Um, it's it's great in the summer, um, but it definitely keeps it a small city feel because of the winter. It's such a it's such a fun place, and it's fun when we're talking about like cities. And normally, it's like a crypto podcast, but I miss travel, and I know a lot of people yeah. do that too. And and even traveling to Chicago and and moving around the world, I know a lot of people uh, that I've been speaking to went to Dubai because Europe is dark and cold, so they all flew to Dubai, and they're all they're all partying it out in Dubai. You know, it's interesting because I read a I read a quote about how you started SeedCX, and I and I and I'd like for you to kind of talk about uh, yep. zero hash as well and and everything. But um, it's funny because we're talking about uh, not COVID, but we're talking about being not being able to travel in a way. Um, when you first started the company, and you guys, I have a quote here of, of when your your co your co founder and and yourself, Brian, uh, an initial to to raise money for the new business. You guys stayed in twenty one houses. 
You held over 600, 600 investor meetings and sent probably 11,000 uh, cold emails. And you were banned for four days from LinkedIn for, uh, per, for excessive cold calling. I mean, you got to respect the hustle. Yeah, I mean, I always say it's, 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 it's not. So part of me always used to say it's a numbers game. You've just got to talk to a lot of people and you've just got to get in the room. Um, but also really just thinking back at it, it's also when you get a connection, it's, it's also just trying to use that connection to, to, to permeate further. Um, and a lot of that is just kind of simple things. It's just saying, hey, thank you. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for 15 minutes. Thanks for 20 minutes. And people often now ask me, hey, um, how did you fundraise? Like we've raised about $25 million to date. And, you know, really when we started, um, yeah, we, we had some stamps of approval, right? We had the MIT brand, which gives you a lot more credibility than you really yeah. should. Um, but, you know, it, it's still really, really hard. Um, and I still just, don't know how. Yeah, it's just, it's just saying thank you. Honestly, it's saying thank you. And then people remember you. Um, and even now people say, people say, well, give me one piece of advice. You know, I take a call and I say, hey, you should just say thank you to people. And even when I say, hey, you should say thank you, people often forget to even say thank you to me. After, you know, I've told them that's the most important thing that I think you should say, because then you can go back to them two months time and they remember you. Or at least when they see the email thread, you know, you said thank you. And, and people just appreciate the small things. So, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of numbers. It was a lot of emails. It was a lot of traveling around. Um, and, you know, we didn't have a huge budget. We, we, we. You know, it was, a lot of it was virtual, actually. We probably, we, we ended up, I think, in our first round having about 60 investors, believe it or not. And we probably had only met about 15 of them. Um, wow. So it was very virtual. Okay, but you're, so so that was years ago. And, and when yep. we originally talked of having you on the show, it was like uh, 2019. And a lot has changed since then. So you go from like having 60 investors in this product that was uh, going to be an exchange and then you realize that 95% of your revenue was actually coming from one of your internal products called Zero Hash. Yeah. So you decided to say like, to hell with the whole you know, umbrella, let's just focus on Zero Hash. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of how it went out? Yeah, exactly. From day one, we'd always split up the exchange side. And then we had this kind of internal solution called Zero Hash, which was essentially the entity that moved the money and moved the crypto. And ultimately- Like was banking as a service. Exactly. It's, it's, it's equivalent to banking as a service, but really for what we call FinTech 2.0. You can call it crypto as a service or settlement as a service. And really, we started to get more interested in that half the business, which really was behind the, behind the scenes. And, you know, just the, the customers that we started to get on in that area was, was just much bigger. And we, we saw how hard it was to get customers on board to do the technical integrations, you know, the cost of acquisition. And if we could work with customers that had hundreds of thousands of existing customers and huge, um, you know, brands, um, we, you know, we, we don't need to be front and center. We can be that, you know, back office pipeline. So essentially what we provide is essentially digital assets out of the box um, and essentially a turnkey solution that enables people to access U.S. and now actually Canadian customers without the need for themselves to be directly regulated by U.S. regulators. Tell me how, how this works. Yeah. So at a high level, the way that crypto is regulated, and again, we're going to go with broad brushes here because it's... Let's, let's do that. That's perfect. It's essentially a patchwork of regulation, right? So every single state in the United States can regulate money um, as within their jurisdiction. And so people often talk of MTLs or money transmission. And states now have different views on whether crypto is money. 
in kind of a high level. And so essentially, if you want to operate in the United States, you need to have a federal registration and then you need a state-by-state registration. So we're talking about 50 states plus all of the territories. So it's a lot of states that you have to work with. And so essentially what we provide is the back office solution and essentially a really simple API to allow firms to be the front end and we're essentially the back end. Um, you know, our customers now range from neobanks to kind of payment processes. And actually, one of the biggest growing areas that we're starting to see now is actually in the traditional retail um, securities brokerage space. Um, and here, essentially, clients say, look, these groups can be regulated themselves. Um, they can spend years getting building out technology too. But really, what they want to provide is essentially crypto out of the box, side by side with every other product they already offer, and not lose clients to you know some of the more established crypto players. So essentially, if if uh, if an international business wanted to open up their financial services to American and U uh, American and Canadian customers mm-hmm. through your APIs, yep. you handle the KYC, the regulation, and the delivery of the final asset, and you guys have those money transmitter licenses. Exactly. So we're regulated now in 51 U.S. jurisdictions, and we're also regulated in Canada, which essentially is about 400 million um, people. Um, and yes, we can enable firms to offer digital assets through a couple of lines of code without the need to be regulated themselves. And you know, you use the analogy of banking as a service. That's a great analogy. Most fintechs, most firms in the financial services space actually aren't regulated. The people actually facing, facing the direct customers, they actually tend to use a back office solution, whether that be brokerage as a service or banking as a service. And so this is kind of just an evolution of that, but just purely for digital assets. What you're describing, I wish I had 10 years ago because I wouldn't have went to jail. Um, Everyone who listens to the show, I went to prison for for operating an unlicensed money transmitting business, exactly what you you guys offer. Uh, And essentially... Uh, there were no regulations back then. And when I was, when we were building and running a bit instant in those early years, uh, we were doing exactly what you said. It was like a patchwork. And so we had to deliver the final asset or we had to like buy them from Mount Gox exchange fast enough and then deliver it to you. So really when you'd actually pay us and we had deals with like MoneyGram and Western Union and all the 7-Elevens and CVS, when you deposit cash in there, our software did everything because there was nothing built yet. So our software would have to wait for the ping from like MoneyGram saying that the money is confirmed. You have all the details of the customer, including like their name and everything, and that they showed ID at the MoneyGram location or whatever. And then and then our software has to then go to Mt. Gox, buy Bitcoin, and then deliver it. And then there's all this like crap in between. And then we're doing the KYC. The other locations are doing... It was just all a clusterfuck. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because... What you're built, what you're, what you've built, and what you're talking about, I thought ten years ago would be what I would would be like. Uh, what you're talking about, I thought would be the uh, final goal for me to attribute. If I can then take what all I did with Ben Instant and turn into like a box service for other smaller companies, I guess what I'm trying to say is I didn't think this industry would grow this quickly. Mm-hmm. I didn't think. Your whole company can exist in the, the, the back end of this whole industry, supporting all these companies. You know, most people don't even know about it. And then there are other competitors to you. There are other people that do the same thing as you. I didn't think that would be here 10 years on. Yeah, I mean, look, 
regulation at its absolute, you know, when you go to the, the worst case scenario is that you end up in prison, right? Um, that, that, that is the worst case scenario. And the second worst case, yeah, I guess the worst case, the other worst case is having a big payment to the government. That, that, I did both. It. So, I mean, they're both really bad. But a lot of people, when they first start, and, you know, we, we had this bias too, is a lot of people, they say, they think regulation is the end goal. And I always say to people, look, regulation, if you spend enough money and time and energy and you have a certain background, you can get regulated. It's not a magic source. Now, to do it well, to do it quickly, to do it efficiently, you know, though there's a lot of skill around that. But to get regulated in and of itself is not, you know, is not a sufficient condition for success. You could have been regulated and you may have never had a trade ever come through. And, you know, it would have just fizzled. And that's what happens to a lot of companies. They get regulated and nothing ever happens. People in the, you know, you know, startup world talk about failing fast. In a regulated industry, it's really, really hard to fail fast because you've got to spend two years getting regulated, if not more, plus uh, millions of dollars. And so what we provide is, you know, great people who have really interesting ideas. You know, some of our customers are three people. And now they've grown up. You know, a great example is a, is a client of ours that, that were public about that is Moonpay. When, when they started working with us, they were just essentially the founders, three or four people. And now they've scaled exponentially. And now they're 40 people in less than 12 months. And that's incredible. Um, and, you know, we work with really large companies as, as well. But essentially, if we can take that threshold to launch an innovative product way down, the innovation in this space goes way up, way more quickly because you're providing a piece of the puzzle. Okay, so walk me through, like, how does the pricing work? Assuming, uh, let's just say I'm a Bitcoin ATM company, uh, mm. and I want to, and, and you handle all the compliance and the delivery of the services, and Bitcoin price is $20,000. Let's just say $10,000 for the ease of math. No, fuck that. $100,000 <laughs> for the ease of math. <laughs> Where, how do you, how do you price it? Is it a percentage based on the, the, the asset price, or, or how do you guys work? Yeah, so every we, we, work with, we work with some ATMs, right? And it's a slightly different structure. Uh, without going into detail, it's, it's, it's an authorized delegate um, structure. It's slightly different. And then, then we kind of have a different structure, which is for payment groups and neobanks and, and broker-dealers. And it, it's, it's, it, each of these flows are, are slightly different. But at, at a high level, the way that we charge without going into too much detail is essentially we charge a, a, a percentage of sure. what our end client is making. We basically charge about 35% of what the client, end client is making, we make. And, Got it. And, and so we take a piece of the pie, but without us, that pie doesn't exist. Um, and so you're still capturing 65% of an absolutely gigantic market without having to spend, you know, we always say to people, we convert high fixed costs and multi-year processes into however quickly you can code up to a couple, a couple of API endpoints and, you know, l low variable costs. You know, we, we really charge very de minimis kind of monthly fees. Hey everyone, I'm Charlie Shrem and it's time to get out of the stone age and into the crypto future at BitCasino. Over the next four weeks, Famous statues are ready to take you on this epic journey around the world to share their love of BitCasino. So follow along as a new statue is revealed each week with a cool video. All you have to do is guess that statue that comes next and win big with a two Bitcoin raffle and over three Bitcoin and weekly prizes with three different ways to win. That's over five Bitcoin up for grabs. Yep. 
You heard that correctly. BitCasino has given away over five Bitcoin with two Bitcoin in raffles, plus like three Bitcoin and weekly prizes. Come on, they're giving away Bitcoin. And we all know the supply of Bitcoin is very hard to come by. There's a finite supply. So these guys are giving them away. All you have to do is go on BitCasino and guess the new statue. So get out of the Stone Age and get into the crypto future. Head to BitCasino to win big. It's a crazy world when I tell you that everything we say, do, hear, see, sleep, everything that we uh, interact with the world is being constantly listened to, packaged up, and sold to other people without our permission. But we already know that. Don't you? You're you're not in your head. We know that. Why are we okay with it? We shouldn't be. We're not getting paid for any of that. Well, my sponsor, Permission.io, actually a very cool company, and you could check them out at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way for you to get a piece of the action because advertisers are going to be targeting you no matter what. And now you can decide which advertisers are able to do so by granting them specific permission and then you get a piece of the action. So you're like basically earning rewards for doing what you already do online, consuming the content and sharing all your favorite information. Now, right at this minute, only these tech giants are profiting from your data. You have all these like uh, Cambridge Analytica and all these like... uh, crazy files that are coming out with how our data is being used against us to spin elections and fake news and blah, blah, blah. With my sponsor, Permission.io, that is about to change. If anything, check it out. It's so cool what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can get a special sneak peek at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. And thank you guys. Thank you, Permission team, so much for sponsoring and allowing me to do what I love to do and to do this show. So you've been listening to the show, you're ready to dabble in DeFi, you're ready to buy and sell some coins and tokens, but you go on some unknown exchange and you find out that you can't actually deposit or withdraw or trade any of these coins or tokens because you need gas, you need trading fees, you want to trade this coin or token, you need Ethereum gas, you want to trade this other one, you need NEO, you need Polkadot, you need IOTA, whatever you choose, you just need all this stuff. Well, my sponsor, Bittrex Global, has decided from now until the end of the year, they will not give you any trading fees or any gas fees for any of those DeFi coins or tokens. This is not some unknown exchange. This is Bittrex Global. They are a true OG. I've been trading with them since 2014. They are. They pride themselves on being the safest, most secure exchange. How do you get all these no no fees and no trading fees and no exchange fees and no, and no DeFi fees? You got to go on untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. That's untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. They are so cool. The company has been around for so long. They were the first company back then to have faces or names on their website. Uh, They were so transparent. They still are. It's very important to have a company in our space that's been around for as long as they are. So you feel safe and secure. But they're not being complacent. They're growing. Bittrex Global is offering no gas fees no trading fees, only to Untold Stories listeners. This is an edge for you. You go to untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. What's the the downside? I mean, you're just trading the same thing you're trading on other exchanges, but you're getting no fees and you don't have to worry about gas. It's like going to save you thousands of dollars in the long run. Untoldstories.com forward slash Bittrex Global. Enjoy. We have to talk offline because I'm an investor in a a crypto ATM company that maybe there could be some, some synergy there. Yeah. Um, what type of, of inflow are you seeing in outflow right now? Are, are people buying like, uh, stable coins? Are they buying Bitcoin? And like, what are the, the average amounts? Like, let's give us, give, give my listeners some like under the hood 
data, some demographics, or some some cool info and some insight that they wouldn't hear anyone else anywhere else. Yeah, so actually, funny, we're going to release a blog um, next week on. Um, what Should I have to release this episode before? <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, the, the we we now have um, hundreds of thousands of, of retail clients, and so we see a lot of data across lots of different platforms. Um, and actually, one piece, what something that made kind of the team laugh in, internally um, was when the stimulus checks came out. We saw a ton. A ton of purchases for the exact amount of the stimulus check. Oh my god! Kind of crazy. Um, what was the stimulus check amount? It was twelve hundred. I don't remember. It was twelve hundred. It was like an exact number, and a week yeah. later, you know, we, we like just an exact back. specific number, and you were seeing exact. That's crazy. That's so yeah. cool. So there's kind of there's things like that. I mean, we are, you know, what we see is reflective of the industry. I mean, it is Bitcoin denominated. Um, it is Bitcoin. Uh, you know that, that that's typically it, and you know a lot of the clients that we service are essentially on ramps with credit card or debit card, and so it's in the low of hundreds of dollars um, that we're seeing. But and those but, are the retail traders, right? Are they yeah. are they uh, after? Are they before? Do they are they like a good indicator of of a price increase before it happens or a decrease? Like, where do you see? Do you guys kind of uh, look at? Do you trade off of your own data? Because I and that's yeah. kind of cool. I would. We actually. I don't know if you're allowed to. You're. I'm sure you're allowed to like trade off your own yeah, data. I mean, we're, we're actually pretty strict internally. Um, we actually kind of operate in, in a sense, right? I mean, potentially, I want, our dream at one point is to be if we can launch an asset, it, cha- it potentially changes the price of that asset, right? Because we're potentially distributing this asset to millions of retail customers, and I think I we'll already know that. what your future business model is. I can tell you what it is, but answer the question first. So we do not trade off our own data, and we actually individuals at the company have to ask permission for any um, oh wow any trades that they have to do, and that's because we do have a lot of privileged data in terms of what we're seeing. What's interesting to see actually is different states and how they kind of pop up. So what we've seen in the last um, last month actually is traditionally you see the states that you would assume are big states you know California. can you release a heat map like yeah. like a covid type thing that's we're so cool and what, what we're starting to see actually which is interesting is some of the a lot of the states which you wouldn't think of um as kind of big crypto states we've seen a big uptick in, in several of those states which to me suggests that we're starting to see a big adoption cycle if areas of the country that alabama pretty low yeah pretty low Alabama's state, killing it yeah, I mean, you're starting to see a lot, a lot of these smaller well, states that you wouldn't think has been Bitcoin, Bitcoin native, are starting yes. now to become a bit more Bitcoin native. So after the show, go look at your heat map and then overlay it with like university per capita or like colleges and schools, yeah. and you'll see like that's why I said Alabama. They have like tons of schools. It's that's why there are more Bitcoin ATMs in Alabama than almost any other state. Yep. Other than New York and California, of course. Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see that across states. We, we in this heat map, we're showing a you know percentage increase in the last in, this, in the past two months, and you'd assume that you know the increase would be maybe normal. But what we're seeing is actually it's not. It's actually increases in, in states where the volume has historically been lower have increased much more quickly than oh, wow. the states. Do you see like do you see a future where Everything that we own could potentially be represented by a token in my wallet on my phone. Um, yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, I think the big question is, 
is there a value of absolutely everything you own being tokenized? Um, just because it's innovative technology doesn't mean that it needs to, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going, we're going to use, use it um, for, for, for that. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more. I mean, I, even yesterday, I was thinking when I was driving, I, I saw this car which had come from Washington, D.C. And I thought, wow, how crazy is that? Like, cars here now in, in Illinois, they've probably had to drive it hours and hours. Um, you know, we, I'm hardly using my car. I would love if this person had used my car. You know, this, but this already exists. Whether or not a token makes it more efficient is one question. I think there are some some headwinds in the fact that obviously there's a lot of uncertainty about in the US at least when you tokenize something, what sure. is it? And you have to spend a ton of money and energy and resources to, to to essentially say this is not a security. I think that's one of the challenges. But just because something can be tokenized doesn't necessarily mean there's any inherent value of it being tokenized. It needs to be on a t-shirt just because it can be tokenized doesn't mean it should be tokenized. <laughs> so, uh, But I have your business model, right? Because yeah. essentially... I do believe that that should be tokenized, will be tokenized, whether people choose to do it on the more secure blockchains like Bitcoin or do it on Ethereum or wherever they want to do it. That's another that's that's a uh, that's a metric or a variable that will be figured out or decided later on. But but the way I look at it is, you know, uh, percentages of your home uh, buying and selling debt potentially anything that trades on paper now that trades inefficiently essentially will be tokenized. But you asked like that, that that in the United States, right? So this is where your business model comes in. I believe that these assets, the biggest variable of these assets and the biggest uh, reason that sometimes these assets will be traded at a premium, uh, well, but there will be like jurisdictional shopping. There will be the, the legal mechanism. You'll see countries, I think, offer very very like solid legislation that allows for a connection between a physical asset and, and, a, and a digital token. But those countries that provide like the swift legislation may not be the countries where you want to have that legal tie. You may want to have it in Canada or the United States or in, in, in the UK or Germany or wherever like property values, you know, property land values have existed for, for thousands of years. You see where, where I'm kind of going with this. And then on top of that, those companies that that do it. So your company regulated in 50 states, you talk about issuing assets. You could be that company that issues those first assets on behalf of other companies, behalf yep. of other people. Uh, you could do a thing eventually where you allow people to tokenize 5% of the value of their homes and then sell it and trade it with each other internally on some exchange. You can do some really cool things. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of cool things right now. I mean, it's not just the, the one of the challenges. It's not just creation of these assets, right? It's then once they are created, if a state deems it to be a monetary instrument, then that then needs to be actually traded on a platform that is regulated in, in a certain ah, way. So it's also the platform that it trades on too. Yeah, so it, it, you see this kind of downstream kind of cogs that have to come out. It's super. It's difficult to issue, and then potentially the way that 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 tokenized asset is deemed. Um, then potentially that creates complexity. But I mean, again, it's just because something can be doesn't necessarily mean that there's true value to it. I mean, it, I'll, t- I'll tell you a story which kind of linked. So obviously DeFi is huge right now um, and kind of lend in and these other pieces. And sometimes, you know, you're, you're in this crypto bubble of people saying, wow, how awesome is this? I can get, you know, four, five, six, seven percent on on, on on certain assets. But then you talk to somebody from more traditional markets, and this is one of our clients that we were talking to who is a very traditional broke dealer, and we said, 
why don't you offer your clients an ability to earn yield on USDC? Why don't you convert some of their USD into USDC? And that's super cool. And the, the CEO goes to me, what, what yield can I offer? And I you know, pull up a couple of yields. And he goes, this is no different to junk bonds to me. I mean, I actually feel safer putting this money into junk bonds um, than actually putting it into a protocol that I don't understand. So just because it can be, it can be super, super interesting. Just because you can earn interest doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way to earn interest. Okay, wait. Oh, hold on. I got to ask you about this because yeah. this is mind-blowing. So essentially, if you go to Voyager, oh, mm-hmm. which is a publicly traded company in Canada, uh, audited in the US every month, all their assets, you know, invest Voyager. I actually own shares of Voyager and I don't even know how to trade them, by the way. I don't even, I don't have a brokerage account. I need to learn how to do that. Like I can't trade the shares. <laughs> but anyways, um, so you have this company, for example, or there's a BlockFi in the US that has also their money transmitter licenses, New York State Trusts, Gemini, you know what I mean? So these are, these are better regulated, if anything, than, and better audited than some of these junk bonds. And then you have these companies that are easily offering eight and a half percent. What does a junk bond offer? Give me an example of a junk bond and, and tell me like the difference. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this person was right. Oh, no, <laughs> so I know you're not, but I'm trying to get into their logic. Yeah, yeah. So let me, let, me talk, let me talk you through their logic. And just because, and again, we've beaten the drum of regulation. Regulation doesn't, shouldn't be the end goal anytime. So we just, for, for example, saw the bankruptcy of cred, right? They were actually regulated in certain, in certain states. So regulation doesn't necessarily equate to safe, always. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a stamp, but it's not beyond an end. So, so let, me, let me just say that. So this person's view came about because, okay, something can be regulated, but the way that assets actually earn yield is typically people are re, what people call rehypothecating assets. They're essentially taking your assets and lending them out. Now, there's no guarantee that you'll get those assets back. And that's exactly what you saw in CRED. Hey, CRED offered me this super high um, yield. Um, but well, why were they offering me such a high yield? It's because they were essentially giving assets to people completely uncollateralized. So it's purely. Yeah, of bad. course. And so that was his point was the way that you can get such, the, you know, if you look at the right now, if you look at yield versus in the more centralized way, if you look at you know, if you look at the yield that you can get from lending out to BlockFi or Genesis or Celsius or, or wherever, the yield that you get is higher if you collateralize less. So if you follow that logic, the groups with the highest yield are offering that with the lowest collateral. And so your assets are at a higher degree of risk. And this is what this person was saying was, first of all, there's a risk of, you know, there's always a risk with crypto. Um, and then the point was the way you get these highest yields taking quite a high degree of risk. Um, and there's ways to mitigate it. This is what we were talking about. And this is something that we, for example, offer TradeStation, which is one of our clients that offers a really interesting yield product. And I've got an enormous... I know those guys, about. by the way. Because yeah, we would always exactly. speak at the Money Show conferences together. Exactly. So, you know, they, they actually are not going into too much detail, but they actually require over-collateralization. And they manage their system through us um, where um, collateral is posted. It's managed in real time. There's ton of stuff that's built around it, similar to the way that you can lend out stocks and there's ways to do it. But that, that was his point was, hey, if you actually unpack some of this, it does actually seem super risky to me. And it's super complex. I can get a similar level of risk, you know, just a gut feel of what the risk is compared to a junk book was his point. So I completely agree with, with that person. And I want to give like my opposite response. And my yeah. response is that for me, 
I feel more comfortable in crypto because I know it. And at the same time, I do agree with everything that you said. And in fact, not all CFI or centralized finance or CFI, DeFi or whatever you want, like centralized DeFi, not all of it is created equal. You talk about cred, you're right. Uh, I personally won't, you know, I, I, I work with a few different companies because I like trying out all the products. Like I'll go and try out your company too. I like to, 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 to put some money here and BlockFi there and to borrow against it and just always be playing around the, the new BlockFi debit card and everything like that. Uh, but when you're doing your research, I, I work with Nexo too sometimes, but I like, and you're doing your research, you have to only work with those companies that offer that like little bit of a lower yield. Like there's a reason Voyager only offers eight and a half percent on USDC when their competition that's doing it collateralized can do it for 10% is because there's like a risk reward. There's a compliance cost, there's audit costs, you know? So, but let me ask you, like, give me, like, give me an example of a junk bond, not a specific one, but what type of yields? Uh, yeah, and for those who don't know, what what is a junk bond in the United States? Yeah. So they gave me the example of Bowen. Um, what? Yeah. Bowen, I think, is a junk, well, certain, you know, there's lots of bonds that can be issued, but he gave me an example of a more recent Bowen bond that was issued at, with, with kind of, I think, I can't, I can't, I'm, I can't remember exactly what rating is, constitutes junk, but it's not actually that, you know, junk sounds super dirty. But I think it's something like a BBB rating or, or something like that actually use yeah. junk. And if you actually look up companies that you would probably feel comfortable buying their stock um, and bear in mind debt sits on top of um, equity, um, you'd actually be quite surprised. And, and this isn't going out and saying, hey, let's, let's all go buy out junk bonds. But this is something that actually, it, it was quite an interesting point, I thought. Yeah, junk bonds uh, seem really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, there is, there is, you know, there, there is a, the less it's essentially high yield debt. High I, yield I, on 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 US dollar. Now, now some some cities their bonds are considered junk bonds. Some states, yeah. their bonds are considered. You're investing in like, so, so, uh, how weird is this for me to say that I believe in crypto more than investing into state bonds? Sometimes, I guess. I I I. I, <laughs> I but the point is that you can believe massively in crypto, but if the company that's lending out the crypto um, in a centralized way, there is a centralized risk. And so that, that's, that's the concern is, is that company doing, doing things the right way? And very often it's very non-transparent. It's the irony. It's actually very non-transparent. This, is the, this was the, the lesson of my show today. And that's what I wanted to show everyone. I wanted to explain the differences of, of the different types of platforms, the mm. jurisdictions that they exist in, the, the way that they lend things out, because uh, you, you and your company are working with a lot of these, a lot of these clients. Can, let me ask you a question. Are your, is your client list public? Can, can someone go to your website and say like, I wanna work with only these potential companies that, that you kind of power? So we so we do disclose some of the companies that, that, that we work with. You said Tasty Trade. So yeah, so Tasty so, so Tasty Trade is uh, also actually full disclosure is also an investor in us in our most recent Series C round. Congratulations! Um, thank you. Um, so um, yeah, we're, we're public with customers. We're, we're typically B two B, so no, customers won't come directly to us. But you know, a couple of customers that we work with, for example, in the broker dealer side, Trade Station, um, Tasty Works, Go. There's a number of others that, that we haven't disclosed yet. Um, you know, in the payment space, you know, super easy on-ramp groups like MoonPay, Banksa, Paybis. Um, oh, yeah, Paybis, I know. Okay, cool. Uh, awesome. Um, 
there's, there's, so there's lots of different groups that, that we are public that we are public about. Um, and if you read the fine print of more and more companies, um, hopefully you will see um, the zero hash user agreement there. And technically, you know, we're actually powering the back office. Well, I'm excited because I'm I'm writing down I'm writing down to like an introduction that I need to make after we hang up for you and a and, a, and a, one of my portfolio companies. But Ed, I really want to. Not just take you know, thank you for the time for coming today, but I know you had some laptop trouble earlier. Thank you for 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 working that out. I'm really happy we got this video. Now you see why I wanted to get this show done today. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, really, awesome. I really enjoyed this, and uh, yeah, we'll be 2020 without some some Zoom issues. Yeah, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you later. Cheers, appreciate it, Charlie.